Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci, a podcast under the Believe Podcast Network about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in this marriage. Greetings, everyone. This will be episode 33 of the show. We are here to discuss the short story, The Space Traders by Derek Bell. Um, before we get started today, I just want to let everybody know there will be spoilers for everything. So mute us and let us play for more listens. Come back later. Reunite us. You know, if you ain't read it yet, read it first. It's a 13-page short story. Ben, before we jump in, how you doing today with your cute shell? I'm feeling really overwhelmed. By what? Well, yesterday was May the 4th when, you know, when we were recording this on Cinco de Mayo. And I have a full-time job and I can't catch up on all the new Star Wars content that's coming out. So, well, speaking of Star Wars and aliens, um we read a pretty uh whew, disquieting story. Uh why don't you talk to us about why you chose this story, Ben? It's hard to talk about this story without giving a summary of it. So I want to give the summary before the background. Okay, so the summary of the space traders is very, very simple. Uh, Aliens arrive to the U.S. and they offer resources to solve America's financial and ecological crises. And this is sort of a near distant future. The short story was published in 1992 and the, the aliens arrive in 2000. However, there's a catch. Uh, in exchange for every resource that would solve all of America's problems, the aliens want to take back every black person that's designated as black on their birth certificate uh, as a trade. And so the short story deals with the American government, you know, contemplating the offer. So a little bit of background about this is that I had first read this story in uh, Dark, the Dark Matter anthology, uh, Sheree Renee Thomas's, uh, you know, seminal, important work on black science fiction, American black science fiction. So that's how I first heard of it. Great story. But also Derek Bell, the author of this, is a law- lawyer and civil rights activist. So he's not a science fiction writer. And there was a huge sort of... Uh, We'll call it like the Derek Bell gate where Obama like had given Derek Bell a hug because apparently Obama and Derek Bell were close. And Derek Bell is one of the fathers of critical race theory. And He's at Harvard, right? He's like a law professor. Yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly sure. He passed away. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where he was based, but he's known for writing a, a book called Faces at the Bottom of the Well which is really important, a really important text. And so, you know, conservatives had saw this interaction and sort of connected the space traders as like this commie, anti-American, like awful piece of literature. And Obama's hugging of Derrick Bell was proof that Obama was a terrorist. Cosign terrorism. Cosign, like a a domestic terrorist slash communist slash anti-American. Right. So that's sort of why I wanted to read this book. You're like the hug heard round the world. The what what is the team? Okay, and then finally the last thing is that uh I think this short story 
sort of represents a really classic science fiction story. I mean, it's dealing with a social theme, but a very awesome classic science fiction. And classic science fiction, an element of it is uh, dealing with thought experiments or uh, the German word, which is like Kedanken experiment, which is a phrase that Albert Einstein came up. Kedanken. 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 Are you sure it's pronounced like that? Nope. <laughs> it's like a Kardashian. Kardashian. I, I am a firm believer that Kardashian was a thought experiment. You know, science fiction does speculating a what-if scenario really well, and classic science fiction writers are known for doing that. You know, what if robots were used every single day? You know, Isaac Asimov. What laws would you need to create to make that sustainable? Or, uh, you know, you, you wrote a story once of a very fantastical speculative element. I did? Yeah. Remind me, because, you know, I write something and I throw it away. Yeah, you did. Actually, I really liked this idea. And and that's what science fiction does. You just take a singular idea. So you're not so much concerned with plot or you're not so much concerned with characterization. You're concerned with the thought. Yeah, it's like, what if Ben washed the dishes? That. What if no. Ben cleaned up after himself. No, no, you have to sort of think of it in terms of something that hasn't happened or far future. Right. So Yeah. <laughs> Wait, tell me what the what this story was that I wrote. Oh yeah, so your idea was what if people the way pregnancy worked is that people just woke up pregnant. Oh. You know, so pregnancy wasn't a result of sex. Like sex was just pure pleasure and the only way you got pregnant was sort of this random happenstance yeah like, like spontaneous if? pregnancy right like, spontaneous pregnancy like, uh, spontaneous combustion mary mary virgin, virgin so mary, yeah. so i actually love i love that idea is that all pregnancies are virgin pregnancies yeah. and what are the implications of that as far as gender politics and sexual politics that is a perfect like what if and you can throw in some science reason why that that happens that is a perfect science fiction idea so you don't really have to the the characters and the plot can sort of write itself, but the thought itself is where the through line comes out. And science fiction does that really well. And that is what this short story is. It's what if aliens came to the United States and asked only for African Americans to come back with them and it and well to to trade them in exchange for resources. That's yeah. it. That's the main idea. So science fiction will often come up with these one off stories, single sentence you know, and that's to address a greater uh, concept or issue or how society, how society would respond is, is like a holding a mirror up to society, which yeah. is why this story got so much, you know, had people clutching their pearls because it was so accurate. Well, yeah, I think for people who are black, it's it's accurate. As opposed to. A white person who benefits from oh so, oh you're like saying like the white conservatives who were upset about this story. yeah the, I think they would because a lot of the information was that America would never even consider trading African Americans in this present day in a post racial 1992 society you know 1990s it's sort of the talk of post like entering in post racial. Um, a post-racial society. And uh, there's a great article we'll put in here uh, by one of the authors we interviewed on this podcast, Nisi Shaw, mm -hmm. 
and they um Nisek. Yeah, awesome. But they sort of they sort of share this little anecdote about how um their mother explained to them that over the de- decades you discern like patterns and repeats. And Nisi Shaw, I think, is writing this in like 2016 or something, Mm -hmm. uh, this essay about the space traders that was published in 92. And uh, Nisi is like, in this is like, you know, now I'm the age of which Derek Bell was when he wrote this story. And this story now seems more relevant in the light of like Trump, in the light of people fighting the idea of taking down Confederate statues. And so that was just a very, like, very powerful um, essay that uh, I wanted, you know, to share. And I think you did, were, you know, what, what are your thoughts about that of, like... History repeating itself? Well, not only that, but growing older and seeing that repeat. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you're a black person, when you inhabit a black body, like, you're you're just constantly seeing obviously I'm only 30 years old but I as I grow older and as I connect with my parents more daily you know how you get to a point where you're like in your early 20s you're like I'll call my mama in two or three weeks and now I talk to my mom almost every other day I I feel myself listening and trusting her more because of of what you said you know because we've seen these things time and time again we've seen racism just on like 50 different plantations like so it, what, it's, what, sorry what do you mean that you've seen racism on 50 different plantations what do you mean by that it's you've just seen all i don't think there could be anything that could happen to a black person um from from the smallest infraction to the greatest that we have not yet seen and if there was uh Little Marvin's them showed us <laughs> that territory. That there is not an act of persecution against a black person that we have not seen. And are, and, are and you they talking like are you talking historically or historically. in the arts or historically um, in the arts as well? I think we've seen every single way that a group of people could be treated as less than and subordinate. So this story re- just reinforced that and held a mirror up to people, and I could it. it I mean, I'm not shocked that people were mad, but it's just like, how could you possibly not think America would turn over its black citizens without batting an eye? Like, you want to believe you're better than them, but I, you know you're not. Y'all have done it. So, it's, and it it's sad. I, I, I liked this new spin on it because I definitely think it gave me some things to think about as well, just like some new ways it was introduced, but... When you look at the bare bones of it, it was all the same. So let's get into first impressions. What were your first impressions within the first like page of the story? I like what this story was doing because it built suspense. And, uh, you know, it's like 13 page short story. Yeah, it sounds small, but like it's it's sometimes you're like, OK, where's the story going? And I really liked the pacing of the story uh for those of you who haven't read the story it did a great the the aliens 
gave the Americans essentially two weeks to consider this deal, 17 days, a little over two weeks. So you got to sort of count through like January 1st, January 3rd, that that anxiety built as we entered January 11th, January 15th. Um, and so I, that, that cadence and pacing worked really, really well for me. Um, I thought it was super clever to include, which we'll, we'll talk about, the writing of policy as a result of this proposal and trade, because I think that is super American as well. It's like, oh, well, in, in the event that this happens again, let's, let's let this live in posterity. Let's write it into law so that these people can't. Just, just weaponizing the law, I thought, was just so clever and was something, I guess, if I was writing this story or even my speculative fiction piece about these spontaneous pregnancies I probably wouldn't have thought to do that obviously this person is like a fucking law professor at Harvard but I thought that was so smart what were what what did you think about it like off off rip uh well there's a character that's introduced go lightly who's a republican black senator who sort of sits in the presidency's cabinet which is all white people the president is a republican and has you know sort of dominated the Republican Party, and the Republican Party is the ruling party in this United States. And uh, Reagan esque, yeah, Reagan esque, right? And so my first impressions about this is I kept on just thinking about um, black Republicans and how even today. Uh, Go Lightly is very much alive and well, mm-hmm. and sort of his thinking it is is quite quite interesting. Like his reasoning of why he's a black Republican, which is eventually we find out he's a black Republican so that he could understand white people and go about supporting uh, black people in a different way. Like he supports. Like in an infiltrating kind of way. Yeah, he supports HBCUs. Like he provides a lot of like secret funding, and he's constantly constantly referred to as an Uncle Tom, and which made me think about Tim Scott, who, in the time of us recording this, Tim Scott wrote, uh, well, did a speech sort of counteracting Biden's uh, speech, and uh, he says a statement. You know, America is not racist. This is a um, Tim Scott, an actual the actual Republican senator, and then everybody started calling him Uncle Tim. And I think they call him Uncle Tom or, or Uncle you, or Tim. You put the words, yeah. No, okay, no, no. Yeah, 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 got it. So that's that was like you know trending, and you know I read Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin in like middle school. It's a really really big book, and what I remember about that is that Uncle Tom is sort of like a tragic figure. Like he isn't. Mm-hmm villainous he's he sort of does what he has to do on this plantation to get by and so i i sort of like 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 stockholm syndrome yeah sure sure well well i never like got the impression that uh, if i remember you know this is in middle school that he like loved his masters like yeah and i think when people what first of all calling him uncle tim I think it's meant to be as a sellout, but when you sort of look at the history of like what the word Uncle Tom or the character of Uncle Tom is that he wasn't a sellout. He was a slave who had to do things to get 
by. But right? wasn't he like, you know, I didn't read it, and you, you got to also consider your middle school brain on it. But it was my understanding that Uncle Tom was freed and decided to stay. For, for a myriad of reasons, maybe he's like, well, where would I go? I've never lived anywhere else or I have a lack of resources. But it it was, you know, through the grapevine that Uncle Tom was a slave that was freed and decided to stay. And I think it got lost in the sauce that like he stayed because he loved his master so much. No, it's like a it's like a 400 page book. Um, and so was the, he ever freed in the story? I, I don't, I actually don't remember. I that. think that was what it was. Yeah, yeah, I think that that might be it at the end. I know, like, it follows his through line as like a young person all the way till you know he's old and like he can't actually move. I think there's like, um, sort of a you know, ableism, a form of ability politics going on in this story as well. And Harriet Beecher Stowe, you know, she's a white woman who writes this and it sort of helped the abolitionist movement. When Lincoln meets Harriet Beecher Stowe, he says, you know, here's the little woman uh, who started the war or whatever. Do you remember that story? No, I don't. Yeah, so so basically it sort of incited, you know, good white liberals to... Right. Or this idea that, like, it's hard because I, I think that book is important. I think I need to go back and read that book, but it's hard because no, you don't. It's no, or it's so long. It's so long. Well, I, I can audiobook it or whatever the fuck. I'm just saying, it's. I, I do want to know what I'm saying if I am calling people Uncle Tom and things like that. I, I mean, but I think it address. It, it does two things. It shows black people as sort of like the original sunken place a little bit or yeah th- that's a great that's a great analogy. it's the og yeah. sunken place because it's like who knows what i would have done if i had lived my whole life on a plantation and then was freed it's like i literally have never lived anywhere else um and, and then to what it does it it says to white people see they like being near us so it's it's very it's a dangerous book because there are so many, even on TikTok, there are so many videos of people who are like wearing Confederate flags, ripping the Confederate South, being like, lots of those slaves stayed after they were free. They loved it. They, these were more like just co-workers. And it just creates this false idea and theory about what slavery was. And so I think when, when I see modern day Uncle Tom's, I'm I'm less angry and more like, my heart goes out to you because you are never like you have not even the slightest idea of how assimilated you are. Like you, you will never have access to your freedom and your power. It's like a, a a freaking whale who you see like that curved fin on the top. You've been in captivity your whole life. And then they try to free willy you out to the sea. You're like, I don't, I've never been here before. Like, which sucks because we're not, you know, it's not the freaking antebellum South like Tim Scott's black ass could easily go read roots and rediscover. But he is surrounded by people that have told him, like, just proximity to whiteness. You got this. You're successful. You're you're confident. You're strong. Well, I think that's the Derek Bell's point is that we are still in an antebellum South right. of a sort. Yeah. Different right. plantations, like I was trying to say. Oh, that's what okay. I was trying to say earlier. But oh, OK. It came out like that. OK. So. Yeah, and I think comparing for Derek Bell, this story is comparing the plight of African-American slavery to the current plight that's 
happening now in the 2000s in this story. So uh, let's sort of get into the themes here. One of the themes that I think he addresses really well is a quote he writes, you know, an unwritten tradition of sacrificing black rights, that America has a tradition of sacrificing black rights. I would argue that it's not unwritten. Yeah. And so and then also that's the second part is that he sort of gets into um, well, well, I think it's unwritten in some sense. So it's unwritten because. Like you said, there are people on TikTok who have a false understanding of what slavery was, or they have a misguided understanding of what slavery was. And why is that the case? That is the case because their tradition of this is unwritten. It's not in history books. It's not taught, right? America hasn't, this is a huge thing in public education, is that we don't have a clear social uh, studies narrative. We don't have a clear narrative yes. of everything is slavery. Us them. We, we don't. don't yeah. Them. Well. Yeah. yeah we, we or we, we don't. We, there's a, so much debate about, you know, in the state's legislation about what slaves were. Were they workers, unpaid workers, or were they slaves that were raped and brutalized? Blah blah. You know. All, yeah. You know the that whole part. thing. Mm-hmm. That, that part. part. And f- because we don't want to accept. Yeah. what actually happened because we haven't written it down that we haven't made a clear narrative about this people are very confused yeah. and i think that's what he's getting at got you i see i just the that that was really i don't know it it really i i needed to read the story and it's powerful but and i should i i feel stupid for not being desensitized to this shit at this point in my life because there was a time i mean when the when aliens first hit the waters right and they came and they were grand and everybody admired them and uh they were like we would like the african-americans i too foolishly for that first part i was like oh man, maybe these aliens are saying like, y'all have oppressed the shit out of these people. We are taking them, we are saving them, whatever. And then when it said like, I think on page two of the story, it said that while the white people in their eyes saw the aliens as like um, grandiose and uh, sort of good natured, the black people watching it saw the evil right away. So that was my turning point. I was like, whatever the black people saw in this scenario is is how it goes down. So I I had a moment where I was like, there's no fucking way that they would just give up every black person in their country. Like, like consider how many things would crumble if that happened. And then I, I can't believe, I, I felt stupid even for a split second mm. thinking that like, like even as I read the story, I was like, maybe, maybe, and I was like, of course they're not gonna fucking do that. Like, they've kind of been looking for this solution, so like here it is on a platter. So, so I went from like, obviously they're gonna give away these black citizens, and then I kept being, I kept being angry with myself for being shocked as the stakes raised. Mm-hmm. Like when legislation was written, I was like, of course that fucking happened. Like, like it was, it was shocking to see how things escalated so quickly but i was i felt just like really dumb for for being for being shocked in 2021 about the things that were were happening yeah 
you know, there's a whole line in there. They quote Langston Hughes, who says, you know, white people take our blues and run. I think that was uh, the quote. And this whole idea that I think white people don't really credit or I should. What do I mean by white? What kind of I think white legislatures don't credit um, black folk for creating culture and creating America. And there's there's this. Say it again, because I don't think they heard you, Ben. Yeah, white legislator. I would say the Republican Party, vast amounts of the Democratic and Party. And several white liberals, as this and, and, story and pointed out. Yes, white certain, a certain kind of white liberals that I think they would, um, I think to an extent, but to say something along the line of that America would not exist without slavery, which is what this story does say. Uh, I think would make a lot of people angry, a lot, a lot of people angry, uh, because I think we sort of pride ourselves as saying, no, America was founded by founding fathers who took Greek and Roman ideas of government and applied it uh, to a new world. And what this story is saying, no, they took slaves and built a, uh, a social structure that allowed support of a building of a country and they killed everybody who was here or you know pushed them out into isolated areas and then they took slaves black folk and built america that is the founding it wasn't a political social idea social experiment and a lot of people i think get really angry about that idea and we you know uh inversely i just get i am so fascinated with this idea of like American um, American exceptionalism. It's so, because when you talk to somebody, like, like we'll, we'll move on to this theme of sort of extreme patriotism, right? Like, when you don't want to do something as a black citizen, because I, I would be involved in this space trade, and people are, white people looking at you, yeah, but it's your American duty. This is, this is the greatest country ever. This is the most, in America, you can be somebody. You can whatever. It's like, America's did literally the same shit every other country did. Except them motherfuckers got free health care. Like, I don't understand. Or, or, you know, in the past when you've said some statements and then family members of yours have said, like, well, why don't you just move somewhere else? It's like, what? Why? Why is America off the table for debate? Like, people what, what love America. Like, I recognize that I that I do have a lot of rights and privileges as an American, especially when we travel because everybody speaks English because our fucking asses aren't required to learn a second language or whatever the fuck. I mean, that's also like UK colonialism as well. Right. It's not really, I mean, American colonialism, but also UK colonialism. The British Empire sort of helped us on that. It's just so bizarre when other... Helped, I say, quote, unquote. It's it's just so bizarre bizarre to me when you meet like, Americans who were like that but that happened to you in America or I'll never forget we, we were watching like uh you know this expose on Reese Witherspoon which you know we, we stand Reese Witherspoon but one time she got like super drunk and got arrested and there's footage of her saying to the cop like you can't arrest me I'm American I'm an American it's just like what so you think you're above the fucking law well yeah you probably kind of are you you kind of can in America uh duck and dodge if you are a white person and so we're just getting further and further polarized um 
but I, I was I was shocked that I thought, no, there's no way Americans are going to write this legislation that allows black people to be taken yet again. It's like, of course they did. Or you know what? Can I say something real quick? Um, it's it's the kind to when the pandemic first hit and the buzzword was this is unprecedented. This is an unprecedented situation that has happened to us. This is exceptional. This is unprecedented. Which in the time this was being written, 1992, what was going on, right? The AIDS. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Uh, I was referring to in my mind, I was thinking the Spanish flu. So I was like, why did he say 19? Uh, But but it's that right it's we we keep coming to a head with these issues and we have these traditions of being like well this has never happened before it's like the other countries deal with this every fucking year like why are we acting like babies why can't we just put masks on i I don't understand how you know even in this like a law can be written so quickly to take black people out of their homes but legislation can't be written to protect i I don't know Uh, yeah let We'll move on to the theme of legislation in a second. I do want to talk about patriotism, though, because I struggle with this idea of patriotism. I think it is incredibly harmful for the human as a race because patriotism ultimately sacrifices um, the needs of others for the need of a non-living entity, a country, right? A country is a non-living entity. And I had recent, I've had i recently read Catch-22, which is hilarious. And the whole point of Catch-22, which this story ends with a Catch-22, Catch the whole point of Catch-22 is this soldier who is forced to go on these missions like again and again and again. <laughs> and he's just so confused. Like, why am I killing people? I mean, it's world, and it, this is World War II, right? If anybody says if there was a just war, there was it would be World War II, which itself is problematic because why did we get World War II? It was America's, you know, brutalization of Germany after World War One and unchecked anti-Semitism, a tradition of unchecked anti-Semitism in Germany. Right. That happened for years and years and years, which this story mentions as well. Point being is that. It's very, uh, that story, Catch-22, is hilarious. It's such a, an attack on patriotism. And I think there's this element of healthy patriotism, of like pride, like yeah. being- pr- you know, Like that's at the World Cup. Yeah, like <laughs> and then everything else is just fucking dangerous. Well, well, also that, but also like, you know, being proud of the kind of music that was grown on your land or the kind of food that comes from your, there are, there's, healthy, there's healthy Hamburgers. forms of- there's healthy oh, forms of, so yeah, there, I mean, well, there's an American uniqueness to a, you know, a hamburger. Anyway, the point is that there's healthy patriotism and there's unhealthy patriotism. And I don't think we are taught the difference as Americans. I don't think, um, you know, CNN teaches us the difference between healthy patriotism and unhealthy patriotism. I don't think Fox News teaches us that. I don't think lots of different media outlets, maybe NPR, uh, but, uh, you know, I think there's a confusion about that. So anyway, I think this book does a does a good dose of showing like what unhealthy patriotism looks like. All right. Let's talk about legislation, because, as you said, this book 
uh, this short story ends with legislation. It is written in this book. It it's like written. the Selective Service Act of something. Yeah, yeah select, they call it Selective Service. And what they do is they use the uh, 1918 Act, um, uh, historical act of the draft. So they take this idea of the draft and apply it to um, all black people to uh, be to be forced to be traded to the aliens. But one thing I love about this is when uh, someone who is not a traditional science fiction writer or part of the science fiction community writes a science fiction story, they can tend to bring like a new lens to it because Derek Bell is a legislator. He's a lawyer. Um, well, well, I don't think he was a legislator. He he was a lawyer and had studied law. He brings up all these different laws. So he, a couple of the things he brings up is um, he talks a, a little bit about the prison industrial complex and only recently states had started getting rid of uh, check the box, you know, remember check the box movement. So basically uh, for ex-convicts who were trying to get jobs, mm-hmm. whenever you filled out a job application, they would say, have you been convicted of a crime and you had to check a box? And what was happening when you checked that box, yeah, like if you, had you were felony. denied. Yeah, yeah you, or they just would never look at that. And uh, that idea was just so diff. Like, how can a prisoner, an ex-convict, be, um, be reintegrated? Into- it's impossible, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, there was uh, uh, recently we watched a documentary called Wild Wild Country, and there's a car- you know, an actual person who went to prison, served their time, but after that they moved out of the U.S. And their point is, in the U.S., one of the few countries that forces you to continue to pay for your crime even after you've paid the original time. Yeah. You know, like you're still, there's still this leftover. And so, and then he also brings up the the court's decision to confine uh, Japanese Americans in World War II. So there's all this precedent mm-hmm. or like these, for these doing this. Ups. There's historical precedent for doing what they do in this case. I mean, I'm sure Derek Bell had a field day when people were like, how could you write something like this? This is this would never happen. It's like, I'm literally referencing like history. You have- Legislation. Legis- legislation and history. And we have a history of rounding up and trying to get rid of people like globally that do not look like us that that worship a different god than us and rules can be arbitrarily written to do so if i i remember as a little kid when i first learned about slavery which was devastating every every black child has a story where they first learned about slavery and racism and it was the, the worst week of our lives maybe around anywhere from uh first grade to fifth grade I, I, big gap depends on you know what what state you were in and, and what education level but we all had that day where we learned harriet tubman was not you know just a a, a supervisor and a, the hardest worker on the motherfucking yard she was a slave who helped everybody knows that story so and um i remember when i recognized what that was I went home to my mom after a couple of days of it setting in and I just sobbed in her arms and I said like, this is gonna happen again. And she was like, no, this can never happen again. This can never happen again. She, you know, obviously she's trying to console me. And I was like, what stops it from happening again? She was like, well, there are laws written where people can't enslave other people. I was like, so, so a law can be written to unwrite that, right? You said she, that as a child? Oh yeah. I was like, well, who wrote that? Like, 
anybody could write that. Anybody can write and unwrite a law. It, or, or like, isn't Georgia uh, right now? Because I'm from Georgia originally. I know that. I say that every time. That, let's, let's talk about extreme patriotism. <laughs> extreme statism, whatever the fuck. I, I, also, rep, I rep Georgia all day. Well, but, also, hold on. You've shared that story that you just shared, but you sort of shared a little bit more as well. Right. Which I, I, I didn't hear that part yeah i've heard the funny part where i was like excited to be a slave yeah because because of the foolish way it was described and then my mom was like girl what did your teacher say i was like yeah mom like the teacher said like (laughs) this group of workers built america and like that all of those workers looked just like me whatever whatever she was like what the fuck and then she explained to me what it was and i was like she was you know I got to see pictures of black people with like whippings on their back. And I was like, this is devastating. And, and I was like, how is this not going to happen again? Like what stops this from happening again? And I, uh, my point of bringing up Georgia a minute ago was saying like voting on this, like voting rights act and stuff like, uh, like these acts and these laws sometimes have like an expiration date. And when it's time to renew, they can be written and unwritten. Like, well, yeah, I mean, well, once it's law, it's written, and then it would have to be un. It would have to be unwritten. So this law, I think, what you're bringing up with the Staring Georgia. At the blank page before. What? <laughs> that's yeah. what I've been thinking about every time un- they say oh, unwritten. Yeah. But I think that's a perfect example. This Georgia law, which, okay, so like the optics of it seems as if it's attacking like civil rights, and people are saying it's civil rights. I went through and like read the law, mm-hmm. and they're just doing like like inconvenient things, but also they're also extending certain laws. And actually New York's voting laws are significantly worse. I'll I'll put an article in there, but because New York is a democratic state and Georgia has a history of doing this because they um, did some like really awful, like just stupid stuff. Like you can't hand out water to people in line is like the big one that people are upset about, but also, you know, getting rid of drop boxes, certain places where you can drop off making it more it's more inconvenient basically they're like they're solving a problem that didn't need to be solved but actually adding certain things that will actually make it easier for voting as well so there there's this whole but the point being is that people can write laws states can write laws that can be very harmful and dangerous whether this specific instance is going to like destroy voting or whatever probably not but what it does show is that someone could do that. That could happen. Also, to round up, the other thing we didn't say is, you know, June is coming up. Stonewall riots. Oh, I thought you were going, Stonewall, you like, were going it was Juneteenth just, with that. But yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was just a normal thing to go to Stonewall, you know, every so often, round up yep. the people in the bar. Yeah, all of, and, like, and, the gay queer people and just yeah. put them in the paddy wagon and for then, what? For what? For, like, you know, a day or so. so and then they'd come back a month later and it just they're like no more <laughs> like no like this we're organizing on this day when they come we're not doing it this yeah so or going back to your point about legislation there was a good part of the story where people publicly would seem like they were in opposition because i want i want to be clear going back to the space traders these aliens were trying to trade like the very specific things like gold and uh Uh, chemicals that could clear up all of the air pollutants in America. Like these aliens were like, here are the receipts. Here's samples of each of the products we're offering in return for these African-Americans. Like your 
economy will do better and you will live longer if you give us your black citizens, whatever. So I'm not justifying that, obviously. But what I was trying to say is there was one part of it that there was one part in the short story where it said people would publicly be against it. But in the privacy of their own polling place, they are going to vote in their interests, mm-hmm. which we saw that we and this was, you know, Derek Bell wrote the story way before the era of Trumpism. We saw that shit because everybody woke up the morning that Trump was elected, shocked and appalled. And we learned, oh, like no matter how much people act like they would never do this in the privacy of their own polling place, their biases and their interests are where they're they're going to vote, no matter what they said to your face. So it was just, um, oh, uh, before we start to tail off the other thing i wanted to point out is the character uh gleason go lightly who, who was sort of the uncle tom character at one part of the story he proposed something that i thought was a little bit clever but you know at that point nobody gave a fuck about him because he was a complete sellout um but he proposed to the black people how about we act like we all want to go how about we put on like this is the land of milk and honey and I really thought a lot about um, the uh, Joel Chandler Harris uh, Bro Rabbit story, right? Because that was Bro Rabbit. We talked about that with uh, P. Jelly Clark. If you haven't heard the P. Jelly Clark interview, you go back and listen to it. But if you if you're familiar with like the Bro Rabbit Bro Bear tales, there there's Bro Rabbit, and um, he's like this little cartoon rabbit, and he is being chased or attacked by Bro Fox, and Bro Fox catches him, and Bro Fox tries to think of like well I've got you now what am I going to do with you it's not like Wiley Coyote uh, Roadrunner and um bro rabbit it was like whatever you do you can you can burn me alive you can roll me up in tar but please 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 don't throw me in the briar patch please don't throw me in the briar patch so obviously bro fox is like oh I'm gonna throw him in the briar patch that's the thing he doesn't want and he doesn't know bro rabbit lives in the briar patch so I immediately thought about that story when Gleason Go Lightly was like, why don't we all just pretend like we want to go, want to go, want to go to trick these white people? Because I've been in the mind of these white people for so long. And I, I thought that was a really interesting concept. Because uh, I remember thinking, like, that's actually genius. Like, because white people, you know, sort of can be... Uh, like it, it's like when we all hop on a trend, it, it white people hop on the trend. So I, I was like, that's actually a super super clever. And I'm I'm wondering what would have happened if all the black people bought into that. But they're like, we're not gambling with our motherfucking life. Like, what if they still decide to send us? But I think Gleason Go Lightly was like, they're gonna send our black asses anyway. Why don't we sort of put a trick on them? But at that point, he had lost credibility. What did, what did you think about that part of the story? All right, so there, there's all these scandals now of white creators stealing from black creators yeah. because it, right, and uh, I think they're sort of playing with that idea a little bit, like yes. you know, uh, but it, it seems it's it's happening. I, I think it's a little bit more clearer now because we're able to tri- because everything is sort of being recorded and called out and called out, us. yeah. So I'm thinking of the TikTok dancer who showed up on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Uh, the uh, what else? Um, I think even now with like voguing right. and and uh, all that, you know, with voguing, we're seeing 
when we voguing is a ballroom, it's like with ballroom and voguing becoming more mainstream. I think that like pretty soon it's going to be like, you know, that idea is going to be stolen either, you know, by like cis folk, you know, like cis, cis well, and straight it, uh, folk. Well, it, that happened first. Yeah, it, I mean, I'm not trying to say Madonna. Madonna, Madonna right. did give credit to, like, I think Madonna actually hired Vogers. Like, mm -hmm. she was like, what y'all are doing here is interesting. I like this to be a part of mm -hmm. my backdrop. So, so she pop popularized it, but then that also permutates into, oh, Madonna invented voguing, which, you know, everybody or, knows that ain't the tea. Or uh, it made me think of that interview with Lizzo where they mentioned Miley Cyrus twerking and, like, Miley Cyrus bringing twerking. And Lizzo's like, oh, no, we've been twerking since the, camp, the campfire during the Stone Age. We've been twerking this whole time. You know, she handled the the, the misinformation really well by, like, making a joke about it. But, again, like, that's sort of he's playing with that is if we show something that black people really love and really enjoy, they'll try to – you know, steal yeah. it from us in the same They'll way. Go. They'll want to go. They'll ask, why weren't we chosen? Right, and I, that's, that's sort of brilliant. I think it's also, it, so Go Lightly is really, really the only, what a fun name. yeah, it was really the only character in this story. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few others, but he's, you know, the primary character. And it sort of implied that he understands the inner, inner working of white folk. And, um, and he better like, better than everybody else prides himself on that too. He, he does. He's an interesting character because, you know, he's. He, I think he's written to actually be a sympathetic character, um, and uh, because he is using his Republican status to bring more support to Black folk, and I think that a take on it was actually quite quite intriguing. Um, let's just go ahead and uh, end with some size. Let's go into some size. So the only side I have about this is that I watched like a 33-minute video of like a 1990 HBO uh, rendition of this mm -hmm. uh, uh, called Cosmic Slop. So Cos Cosmic Slop took three short films, combined them together. It was produced by HBO. And it was pretty interesting. Like, for example, one one part of it is that they address what about like mixed couples? You know, what about interracial couples? What well, about mixed about children? That in the story. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, and then. Uh, so we out if we <laughs> if this happens today, me and you know our future child because they were probably right African-American on our child's birth certificate. Right. I, the only thing. Did they talk about mixed couples? At one point, they were saying for there was a, a group of people in the story that were trying to make a plea to white people not to do this. And, and, and one part of that was the interracial couples were like, please don't take my family away from me. If, if this if you do that, this deal will do that. Mm, OK, got it. Yeah. No. Um, so anyway, Cosmo you, and your ass better have been on that TV crime for me, too. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. So, obviously. Well, I think I would probably enter and I would probably become a terrorist. If if they took me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe. I would absolutely become a terrorist. Yeah. Absolutely. You better rap. A quote unquote terrorist. I mean, I would you use some sort of violent action, right? Yeah. Like that. So that's really the, the only. Of terrorism. Yeah. Well, that. So, I think. Um, I think we, I I'm saying that now, obviously. But 
he is writing this um, with sort of an understanding of through the lens of the Holocaust. And at one point, he compares the Holocaust uh, to what's happening now. And a lot of people, you know... And he includes in the story the Jewish people that tried to help out in this situation because they're like, we've seen this before. This is not okay. Right. And so I think what Nazi Germany did is that they did this like almost a slow gradual it was a gradual progression like it wasn't like okay here's the final solution in two weeks right like it was more of a progression so i think there would the my only size i think there would have been sort of there would have would have been an element of violent backlash like where he is actually saying actually no people would just be so surprised by it like of course this would never ever happen and then privately people would be very excited well, and people so, did try to flee the country and everything, but, but I hear you. Two weeks is a short turnaround time. Yeah, which which I think if it if it's that short, I think you would get some sort of violent element, which doesn't happen in the story. Right. Uh, but I I mean that would be my only sigh. I wish Cosmic Slop was better. It was narrated by George Clinton, Man. which it was doesn't get any better than that. It, yeah, <laughs> I mean go check it out. It's on YouTube. It's free. It's really shady, like video quality. But if you want something else after this, not you calling it shady. Um, I my only side for this would be uh, so I, I mentioned earlier that there was pacing of like they had this window from January 1st to January 17th. So they would give us the day by day. But there were a couple days that were missing. Like January 12th just wasn't there. There was like one or two other days where I was like, I would have liked to, as my heart rate went. I, I got when I saw that one date got skipped, I got worried that other dates would be skipped. But. You know, I'm I'm pick I'm splitting hairs at this point. It's a really great story. We would love to hear what y'all have to say about it. I do want to I do want to go back to one last thing. So, I I think like for me I would say or like I think other people might read this and be like, oh, we would like violent, there would be a violent uprising, and I think that saying that could be it sounds could be problematic right yeah it's like the people who are like why did the slaves revolt some did some some did also some did um and i think yeah i mean i would hope i would i i feel what you're saying and i'm glad you made that point and with that being said ben why don't you warp up the show in conclusion read this short story takes 30 minutes go by dark matter where this short story is also collected and read more Derek Bell. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. Next week for episode 34, we're going back in our anime bag, y'all. LaShawn Thomas has brought us Yasuke on Netflix, but we're going to be breaking this up into two separate episodes. So we're going to binge episode one through three and then episode four through six. So if you would like to check it out, please watch episodes one through three of Yasuke. And this next time around, the episode will be dropping on Tuesday. We're switching up our dates a little bit. So look out for that episode on Tuesday, and we will see y'all next time for the show. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.